Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, here it is, buddy. It is, uh, it's mid, it's mid August, 2017 when this is being recorded. God only knows when you're hearing it, but we do hope that it's actually close to that, uh, date because we're talking about a timely event, uh, this week. We're, we're actually, uh, yeah, there's a big event coming up on the 14th of September, the nationwide, uh, uh, release one night release of the Heart of Man movie, and we've got Jason on today, who is the producer and co-writer, one of the producers, fun fun guy, uh, and so he's going to talk a little bit about the movie, yeah, a little bit about uh, what was in his head as a Christian artist, a film artist, which I find yeah. totally fascinating, especially because he renewed some of my hope for the Christian film art yeah, <laughs> in yeah, making this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, this is another exciting day for me, Now, Aaron. wait, I'm, I'm going to introduce this part, because Are I, you? I remember, okay, you know, I, when I lived in Los Angeles especially, you'd get uh, DJs on the radio around St. Patrick's Day. They'd be like, this is our drunk episode. We're going to take shots of whiskey all morning. Uh-huh. And it always seemed like, man, that, that seems like, such a nice gimmick for a radio show, but we're right. not going to do that. But instead, today is the drinking episode. It is. It is the drinking episode. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I'm not allowed to eat today because tomorrow I'm getting a colonoscopy. And today I've got to drink a freaking gallon of um, of a vile liquid. Now, what I think I see on the side, it's... Use ass direction. It's going. It's going the direction <laughs> yes. of your ass. What does that say? Oh, use as directed. All right. I yeah. wasn't. It was kind of small on my screen, but it seemed appropriate. <laughs> oh man! So oh. I've got to drink this crap every ten minutes, when and would, I hope I can make it through the entire. Is it time? Are you taking a shot hits. right now? It's yeah. I'm going to yeah. All right. Here I, we go. I, all right. I'm supposed to feel the effects in an hour. Now, make sure you make uh, swallowing noises for those that aren't watching this on YouTube. <laughs> this isn't just dead space. This is drinking time. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is also a service announcement for all of you men out there that need to have your colonoscopies. Uh, boom. One shot. There nice you go. job. I've had some practice drinking. You, you're, like a, <laughs> you're like a frat house patient. <laughs> yeah, if I just had a funnel. <laughs> now, if you were drinking that through one of the beer hats, that would be classic. That's what I want to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. does that stuff taste awful? I heard it tastes oh, awful. That's awful, but it's real salty. Okay. And uh, <laughs> this is great. We actually uh, canceled one of our podcasts for today because Nate was going to be doing this, but then Jason could only do it today. So Nate's, Nate's being tough and being brave. It's great. Uh, oh so. yeah. Yeah. And I've got a phone conference in a couple hours too. With a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how are things going in the Larkin world? We didn't talk much about that. You got back from your road trip. Got back from a road trip. Uh, yeah. The last Last episode, let me see. We were in Jackson, Mississippi when we talked. Went mm-hmm. from there to to uh, Andalusia, Alabama, uh, to uh, and had a great time there. Uh, a, a night, you know, a, 
a steak dinner for 250 guys in an old frame wood frame school. Wow, cool. Yeah, in 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 coastal Alabama, got to tell my story, and I got a good response there. And then uh, on Monday, Dr. Tom Mocha and I flew to Minneapolis to hang with the Samson guys there. What a great time we had. Uh, Greg Sharp, the man who's kind of been behind, he's been that fellow with the administrative gift who's been working behind the scenes, just serving and leading and suggesting and organizing, uh, hosted us in his home. Hosted us for dinner with about 17 guys when we got there. And then off to the meeting, about 80 guys showed up at the meeting in Minneapolis. Uh, and then we hung in the adjacent pub for the meeting after the meeting. And breakfast yesterday morning with another 14 guys. So what, I mean, it was nice having uh, Dr. Mocha along so he could be kind of fresh eyes. He, he had never yeah. been on a road trip like this. You have. Right. So right, right, what right. what did he discover that he was surprised about or encouraged by? What were some of his thoughts? Well, that's, I wish we had him here uh, so that he could answer that question. He was, he was really engaged throughout the entire weekend. And I think... Uh, uh, yeah. The fact that, uh, I don't know, the, the vitality, I think what struck him was the vitality of Samson culture in all these different places. You, we, went from, we went from Mississippi to Minnesota. Wow. And there yeah. was, and there was uh, you know, Samson vitality, authentic brotherhood in both places. And lots of stories of redemption, lots of great honesty, the guys still deep in the weeds and not pretending otherwise, mm-hmm. um, a lot of deep trust. It was great to see that these guys in Mississippi and the guys in Minnesota are brothers and walking, walking it out together. That's such an important reminder, I think, for, for folks that hear, that listen to this podcast, um, Samson will fail utterly if it's a testimony society of mm-hmm. what has already been fixed. It's yeah. supposed to be a real-time honesty one. Yeah. And I know early on, I remember our conversations where the fact that you wrote the book and you were now becoming, here, I'm, I'm the expert on recovery. What a danger right, right, that right. was. Oh, sure, yeah. And I, I don't think we can overstate for everybody that we we must always be ready for the next bend in the road where we find a new pothole and yeah. that we better not be claiming to be experts because then we'll have to go back to hiding our struggles. Right, right. Well, the other great thing about uh, uh, Minneapolis was that we met, uh, there were a couple of therapists who came to the large meeting. They don't typically attend the meeting because so many of their clients attend mm-hmm. the meeting and they they can't uh, endanger that relationship. But they came for the special night and uh, to see th- these therapists and, and uh, to talk with them afterwards, uh, what great value they place on Samson and how they, you know, <laughs> send guys there so that they can find community uh, between sessions. Uh, there was a pastor there. Uh, and then there were guys who came actually, to the big meeting, who'd never been to a Samson meeting before. Mm. And by the end of the meeting, they're going, you know, sign me up. How do I do this? It was great. 
which that's actually a great pitch for folks to come to the uh, October 14th, 13th, 13th, 13th through 14th, 15th, 15th. Yeah. Because there's a, there's an awful lot that you understand just by sitting through a meeting for the first time, because it's yeah. not complicated. It's not magic. It's quite simple. And, yeah. uh, but the transformation is just in the honesty and gleaning courage from the men around you. Yeah, so yeah. until you see that, and it was the same for me, I had to actually sit through one before all of uh, your stories made sense to me. <laughs> I had read the book yeah. and I'd had the conversations, but it, it didn't click yet. So yeah. that's very cool. Well, we are going to jump into this uh, this podcast right now, this podcast, this interview, because <laughs> I do believe we've already started the podcast, but we're going to jump into this interview with Jason. Uh, let's, let's watch Nate take another shot before we go. It's a mighty shot. It's about a 12-ounce shot. Oh, if you're following oh, along at home with like whiskey, don't do the 12-ounce shot. I feel like I need to go chug, chug, chug. Amazing. You're so good All at right, that. All right, let's see if I can make it through the interview. All right, here we go. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. He came, but he's no good at being uncomfortable, so we can't stop staying exactly the same. If there was a better way to go, then it would find me. I can't help it, the road just rolls out behind me. Be kind to me or treat me mean. I'll make the most of it. I'm an extraordinary machine. I seem to you to seek a new disaster every day. You deem me due to clean my view and be at peace and lay. I mean to prove, I mean to move in my own way and say I've been getting along for long before you came into the play. I am the baby of the family. Well, welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the Heart of Man movie showing nationwide one night only on the 14th of September. And we're fortunate up, uh, fortunate to have with us uh, on today's episode of the podcast the uh, producer of the film, a guy who showed me some of the early rushes a couple years ago, Jason Pamer, joining us from Seattle. Hey, Jason. Hey, guys. Now, Jason, your producer, weren't you also writer, co-director? I wrote the film with the director as well, so producer, writer, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, f- yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, it, it, take us back, will you, Jason, to the genesis of the film? Where was the germ of this idea? And uh, it is the finished product uh, what you set out to film, or did it did it mutate over time? Mm. So I was on a film called Rape for Profit. This was a film on sex trafficking in a major U.S. city, specifically the demand side. And as mm-hmm. we kind of got into the demand side, we discovered that pornography use was a huge um, factor in, in moving the demand toward the buying of illicit sex on the streets of Seattle. And so that was a three year journey. And Jada Pickett Smith, Will Smith's wife came on and executive to produce that. And we released it in theaters in 2012. And it was on the heels of that as we were trying to figure out what's next. Um, in that in between season, I had some mentors in the city kind of go, well, what about the guys in that film? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care. I mean, it's about the girls. 
Uh, yeah. And they kind of graciously said, okay. And then didn't say anything else. And then I got connected to a guy named Tony Anderson who founded a thing called Unearth. And he at the time was filming the hearts of men all over the world, Southeast Asia, South Africa, same, same premise, the demand mm-hmm. side of trafficking, what, what drives men to this illicit sexual behavior. The thing is, God kind of gave him a vision at one point of a tree in the middle of a village and the fruit was growing from the tree and the villagers were grabbing and eating it and it was poisoning them and their bodies were piling up underneath the tree and the, the villagers kept clamoring over each other to get to the fruit. And as they clamored for more and more fruit came and eventually God kind of panned the vision down to the roots and in the roots were the hearts of men. He said, until you go get me the hearts of men, the fruit will never change. Mm. That, that illicit, in whatever category, will always be there uh, if the hearts of men aren't dealt with and spoken to. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of began, and right around that time was when we got connected. So it was a pivot from, okay, this is sort of a behavior level film that was kind of what we did with Right for Profit. Mm-hmm. And now we were interested in going deeper. Yeah. And so it took our collective teams a journey. And the film we have today is not the film we set out to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the film we were supposed to make. Yeah. I think, to be honest, if we didn't release it for another year, it would still evolve. It's just like this fine wine. It keeps marinating and it keeps evolving and fermenting and more voices that speak into it. Guys mm-hmm. like you, Nate, honestly, and as we listen and read more and, and just are in deeper relationship with guys like Trueface, I think we come to a greater understanding of the love of God, the gospel, and I think that, um, has had material impact on the way we cut this film, and it would look different in the year. Now, we we talked about it a little last week. Um, just quality wise, it's it's a beautiful journey, and it's a journey that didn't require dialogue to tell the story, which is an interesting choice. I mean, it made me think of Black Stallion first with that what huge 45 minute scene or whatever yeah, yeah. With kid on the island and cast away that has these you know that's that was a that was a bold decision wilson god i love wilson yeah yeah so well, i mean part of the when we were writing we were like this could go cheesy real quick to try to represent this cosmic ancient father-son relationship you you don't even have a full film to do it so you now have half a film and half a film those lines are going to require too much weight to them to convey what we're hoping to convey and that we felt like that was going to be really difficult to walk that line in an artistic way um and so then we kind of went okay well if they're not talking how are they connected how do you show connection relationship this is where the violin came in and the melody of the violin the developing of the melody over a lifetime um it was a risk and it was one honestly like we've had enough feedback now to know it's worked but i did not know if it was going to work even until I would say last fall when we released it to the, to the 8,000 people that supported the film financially. Um, I didn't know. Like, is it going to resonate or is it going to be so weird? Is it, you know, is it pace well enough? Or These are all things that we were worrying about, thinking about. To be honest, I'm still concerned about it. But So the story, you're, you've got this violin story, you've got the prodigal son. Give the, give the listeners a little something. What are they going to be walking into on September 14th when they find their local uh, theater? That's showing it. There's a ladybug on me. Is this an outtake? There's a ladybug on me. I'm not a bug guy. Um, uh, so it's a dual genre of film. It's a deconstructed look at the prodigal son story. It's a narrative that we shot in Hawaii. And then it's interviews of real people talking about their addiction, their vices, the, the, the heart of the father, the face of the father for them in the midst of all that. The hope that found them there in their darkest places. So we combine these two genres 
the narrative is sort of the visuals for the doc and the doc is sort of the language of the narrative. Hmm. Yeah. And I got to tell you, the way you've woven it together just uh, transfixed me. Um, and uh, to me, the great value of the film is I think it's going to be an icebreaker that makes it possible to initiate deep conversation that is desperately needed. Uh, it'll help to kind of ease us into waters that we've avoided because they're difficult to navigate. Um, and we've got wonderful people kind of modeling vulnerability and confession and offering experience, strength, and hope. Um, and I think it does everything that great film is supposed to do. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Our hope is that the narrative gives a container for your story to be held in, whatever story that is. Uh, and that the doc, like you said, uh, gives you an example of what vulnerability can look like and mean. Um, and it's not all neat and tidy in it. And, you know, the reality is there were some stories we filmed that didn't wrap up nicely. Mm-hmm. And with 72 minutes to leave some ends loose, you know, it's possible. It just didn't feel right in this film. But we want people to know that, you know, there's no, we don't want to cast more judgment or shame on couples who are still wrestling, right? Or yeah. on that woman whose marriage did not come back together or... Uh, because these are all realities that we walk in and we walk yeah. with friends. And so, um, yeah, our hope is that just people get a better glimpse of the father and that there's freedom from shame and the lies that we've all listened to and believed over time. Uh, and that slowly the voice of the father, that, that volume, that melody can get louder in our ear. Yeah. Yeah. How did that fit with, uh, kind of that, the, the typical Christian movie, that creates a problem that's supposed to transcend people's lives and connect with them. But so often at the end of the movie, everything works out exactly the way they hoped it would and feared God would show up. Like it has to have the bow or else it doesn't represent the Christian faith somehow. Right, right, right. Totally wrong. Uh, not representative of any of our lives. Don't mm. understand why we think re- representing on the screen reflects reality i will say uh audiences in general you and i included when we go to a film if it, there needs to be some level of hope at the end i don't think any of us could name a film although i challenge you to that ends with just darkness and mm-hmm. sort of is just wow all right uh, like i i don't i there are some that are darker for sure and i think what you're talking about is not tying up every bow and that's in, the, in our film you know uh we'll give away too much but you, you see the prodigal still still going back to similar places in his journey, even at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are He still bears the scars of his decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't remove those scars. Like, those are realities. Those are reminders of the story and places we've been in our story. So I agree. I don't like it when it wraps it up. I think it's disingenuous. You become a Christian, you win the state title. Uh, it's like, mm, you know that's not really how life is. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the one that comes to mind is the unnamed film where the woman couldn't have a child throughout the movie. And then miraculously at the end, once God comes through, everything works out for everybody and, Oh, she's pregnant. And I just felt bad for every woman that doesn't get that ending and has to still find out God is good. And she's not going to have a baby. Yeah. Are you talking about Mary? I couldn't, don't name the film. Um, <laughs> uh, I agree with you. 
I agree. It does not give an accurate sense of what this journey is like. There's tremendous beauty to be had. There's tremendous pain. Um, and many times it's the same relationships, the same moments in time that carry those same realities. So how did you end up in this place? Because I know uh, my time spent in Los Angeles in, in that world, uh, I found it very mm, exhausting at a heart level to, to participate in uh, things that you're still in. So how... How did you decide, hey, I want to make films with these with this level of purpose, but I can also navigate this world without having my uh, heart sucked dry? There's a couple of realities. One, my wife is a protector of my heart and soul and mind, and I mean that in every sense of the word. I've wanted to quit this film three times, three distinct times, probably hundreds more, and she was the one to say, you're not done on this thing. We're not done on this thing. Uh, so she keeps me very grounded. Like, you know, I could come back from a trip and have some of the craziest meetings and opportunities. And she's like, can you hold the kid? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, just immediately brings me back to like a place of um, groundedness. A, B, I actually live in Seattle. My producing partner shoulders the brunt of all those realities in LA. I'm able to fly in and out every month. Uh, there's that. So there's a couple graces, I think, that I experienced that. Uh, and then, you know, we've been really blessed on this film with an incredible group of executive producers that are highly activated. You know, Brian Bird, who's an industry vet, 35-year guy, wrote Case for Christ, Captive, lots of TV, tremendous storyteller. And he's on calls with me every week. And then Bruce McNichol from Phoenix, True Face, he's one of our executive producers, and he's also on calls with me every week. And there's just a really great covering of expertise, there's a sageness to our EP team. There's a covering there, I think. So my hope is that as I keep moving through film and more films, hopefully we keep grabbing this intergenerational team uh, yeah. to learn from the guys that have stepped into some areas that you know, like, yeah, you could walk there. It's not going to be as fun as it might look right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jason, could you, could you take us on to location? in Hawaii and just kind of describe for some of those scenes. First of all, the cinematography is just fantastic. Um, uh, you know, the scenes around the tip. T tell us about uh, the group of actors and what it was like to shoot those narrative pieces. Oh, okay. it was so fun. So fun. I, you know, we, we were scouting for months before we landed there, all up and down Central Coast in California to try to find an area that felt um, wild and adventurous that could be a place that we could kind of put this timeless setting in. And we looked at Ireland. We just looked all around the place and we settled on the big island of Hawaii. And there was tremendous production support on the ground there through a group, uh, Big Island Gigs and a few other groups. They're kind of, they're tangentially connected to YWAM space over there, but they're, you know, professional crews. And so we got connected through relationship. We did a scout and literally every location we went on the scout, fit the script perfectly it was like oh we don't need to go to location two like this is it and that's a testament to our guy over there joe engel he did a great job finding great spots but it was just it was what it was you know the 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 set design and the production design budget didn't need to be as big because we were in these places mm -hmm. and um so it was incredibly fun we shot for about two weeks we had about a week and a half of prep so we were on the island almost a month and uh you know, the prodigal, we, we cast him actually in Hawaii. He's from Atlanta, Justin Torrance, mm -hmm. incredibly gifted 
guy. I mean, he embodied so many different people's stories in one performance. I think that's one of the most incredible things. Did his all, all his own stunts, including the cliff. Uh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was amazing. Um, I actually work with him pretty closely to this day just because I love his heart, his intensity, his excellence. Uh, cast the father out of LA. We had a big casting call for the father. Hundreds and hundreds of people uh, responded to the casting call there and ended with Robert Fleet. He does a fantastic job again of a pretty TV or a pretty daunting task mm-hmm. to represent this figure, no lines, all in the face and the eyes. Um, yeah. Just acting with your, your body, you know? So, it, it was fun. We had a crew of about 40 or 50 uh, people over there. Some friends of mine walking downtown. I'm in the middle of a podcast. I respect. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, guys. Can you guys edit that? You can do it in post. That's what people always tell me. Um, <laughs> sure we will. Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> sorry, guys. I didn't mean to screw it up for you. Um, yeah, it was incredible. We had a, just a big crew over there that was so fun to work with. I mean, we threw a... Um, a luau of sorts before we shot anything. I had a, my first assistant director, Joth Riggs is an industry that was on Starship Troopers and just major films over the last 25, 30 years in Hollywood. And he's like, I've never seen a crew uh, honored this way or celebrated this way before you shot one day. And I think that was our hope was we had long days, 17, 18 hour days, um, packing into the middle of nowhere. A lot of times in jungles. And it was a thing. We just, we, we got the best from everybody. I think it was because we, we really attempted to love on people, and uh, that's how we tried to run this whole process. We've not been perfect, but we try to put people above process, people above timeline, people yeah. above motorcycles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I was supposed to ask you, Nate said, make sure you ask how much this thing cost, because you'll be surprised. And he didn't want to give it away. So... How much did this thing cost? It was raised, the film was made on about $1.2 million of donations. Uh, generous people from around the world. Again, about 8,000 people gave to this thing over the course of the last three, four years, even beyond that for the Hearts of Men 1.0. Um, you know, it's got a value much higher. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, we, we, we didn't have to cut corners, but, but through some really strategic relationships, like with my my producing partner in LA, he owns the best gear in the industry. Mm-hmm. That camera department rental alone for that amount of time would have been a third of the amount of money we spent, a eh, fourth of the amount of money we spent total. You know, we didn't, we spent way less than that. So there's this example. We, we had a customized drone. It was one of the first few drones that was FAA approved. And so it allowed us to not have to go rent helicopters. Yeah. To get all the I was shots wondering through. about those. I was wondering about yeah. those shots. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a drone. You know, it was about, it was a lot of money in the air. It was over $100,000 in the air between the drone, the camera, the lens. And so mm. that cliff scene was intense. I mean, you know, we're all on, on walkies and the first AD is, you know, we got to get this. And the drone operators, like we got five minutes left in the air to get this. And Jens and I are looking at this floating over the Pacific and looking at the rocks below just going, oh my God, I'm getting on the phone with the insurance broker in LA going, hey, we're going to have to up these uh, limits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh. But they, they got it. They got it with like a minute left in the air and Justin did it in one take. And But that allowed us to get that production quality and value because one of the big inspirations for the visuals was Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Um, and we just wanted to give like, this is what we have access to and, and what we think is better is actually not better. Um, 
what we have act the fullness of relationship with my wife is better than the illicit porn in the yes. other room. It's harder, it's messier, it's more frustrating, but it's so much more dense and rich and textured. Yeah. Relationship with my brothers, when we piss each other off and we disagree and we're going at it, to stay in that moment and fight through that, to be known, even at my worst, it is more difficult, but more beautiful on the other end. And so we were trying to illustrate that through the visuals. I think two things that it did for me when I was watching it, you have the interviews and if it was just if it was just the interviews, it would have conveyed an important point. Mm. But because my my heart got to take a break between the interviews and kind of breathe in that that beauty, mm. and also the other story that was not didactic that you didn't need to spoon feed me, it kind of prepared me for okay, give me the next bit of information, and it was really like breathing in and breathing out throughout and what a great way to describe it and the fact that it was really god's canvas that was on display as much as anything else you've got the story going on but uh it just it can't be overstated this yeah yeah seeing god's fingerprints throughout in his creation you know what i think this is a landmark film really in the in the history of christian popular art i think people are going to look back and say Something changed in in Christian art with Heart of Man. Mm. I really do. Gonna need to get that in writing, Nate. Um. (laughs) So, on that note, uh, people watch movies all the time, uh, and and probably don't think a lot about the people behind the scenes. Uh, I. I got to be a producer once and it was the most tedious thing for a very short project. It was unbelievably tedious. I don't think most people understand kind of the heart of the artist as they're creating what's going to come up on the screen. So peel, peel back the veil a little bit. Uh, cause, cause you're the man who's going through the practical and got a vision for what they're going to encounter. Yeah. I mean, this is going to sound cliche, but and it's true in everything we do, but team is so important. I mean, the director, Eric Esau, has been a lifelong friend of mine, and uh, I don't know probably anybody more detail-oriented than him and um, and yet has carried such a great imagination and just childlikeness. And so he poured his heart and soul and still to this day, I mean, I'm getting texts on notes. We're editing this thing. We have to deliver it next week. Uh, which will be just a few weeks before the release, and um, it's uh, it's still being tweaked. The effects are still being worked on. The moments in the film are still being worked on. So he was great. Uh, you know, my producing partner, Jens, none of this happens without Jens. Uh, he's poured his heart and soul in every possible conceivable way. Um, there's just so many people to name. I mean, I think I've hired probably close to 150 people on this thing. And this is an indie doc, you know? It's kind of like, yeah, it's a hybrid. And then we shot a narrative, but I mean... It's incredible. We had a full string section in Eastern Europe that brought the music to life. I and mean, that's a whole other podcast on how the sonic world of the film, which in many ways is the language of the film, right. through melody, came to life. You know, these 40 string players over there that brought this picture um, vibrancy. So anyway, it's just a tremendous, tremendous team. And, you know, staying power. It took, it'll be four years for me by the time this film comes out. And this has consumed probably 80 plus 90% of my life last four years. Um, so it's been a lot and uh, you need those people around you to encourage you that there's, it's worth it. 
And when you get to the first cut and go, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever been cut in the history of cinema. And then you spend 90 cuts to get to the place where we are today. Um, and then you get the emails we get and the responses we get. It's a whole other podcast. It's un- I don't believe it. I almost think that there's some fake server out there that's just sending responses in because it's just like, there's no way it moved you like that. I'm a little cynical to it now, but it, it continues to transform. And I think that's a heavy word and I think it's overused, but I think it actually is true. Like it, it, it's renewing marriages. It's renew. I mean, it's just crazy what the film's doing. So is, is one of the differences as a, as a disciple of Jesus making art that, as you're doing this, the art is not as central in your mind as the people who will be transformed by the art? No, I think art comes first. Um, I, I love to quote uh, Martin Luther. There's this German cobbler around the same time he was around, and he kind of went to Martin Luther and said, you know, I'm, how can I be a good Christian shoemaker? And Martin Luther's response was, well, you don't need to put little crosses on it. Just make great shoes. Like, just make great shoes, and that'll be the way that you become a good Christian cobbler. And I think for us, you know, there are contemporaries of mine that have had tremendous success in the film space. I think they approach it a little bit differently. It's, again, not trying to overgeneralize, but, like, what is the message we want to get across, and how do we put a story around that message? Okay, the end of this film needs to kind of be like an altar call. It could be in the forest, could be, you know, whatever. How are we going to do that? And then they kind of craft the story around it. And for me, it's like story is king and in this art form. Story is the most important thing. Um, I think, you know, uh, a macro reality is people, obviously, at the end of the day. But, but it takes great people to make great story. And so um, story is central. I don't think you can sacrifice the art on the altar of, you know, transformation or whatever. I think it mm-hmm. becomes... It becomes it becomes a different form of art. I'm not going to say it's not art because it is, it's just a different form. And I don't feel like I am called, even my broader team is called to that form of art. The greatest movies, you know, that have moved me, you know, Gladiator, Les Mis, Count of Monte Cristo, you know, nobody would be like, Oh my God, that was so didactic. That was so religious. And yet these are some of the greatest examples of the gospel that have ever made it to the silver screen. I mean, some of the greatest examples and, and yet they're profound, they're powerful, they're entertaining. I think the medium of film demands that it's entertaining. It's not entertaining, you've got something else. It's not, again, not art, it's just it's something else. Right. So how many films is this, or how many, how many theaters is this going to be shown at on the release date? Right now we're at almost 600 around the country, every major city, um, every DMA, and... Uh, yeah, it's so fun. 7 p.m. in every time zone. And uh, one night for now, if we can um, get to a certain ticket threshold, they'll put us up for another night or two. Um, but that's what we're driving toward right now, September 14, 7 p.m. You know, this is the type of film you, you watch, you think about somebody that needs to watch it. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this person, I should, that would be, this would be the hope, would be that people would go in group and community. Go get a drink, go grab some food after, keep processing it. Um, so how do people find out what the, uh, the closest theater is to them? So if you go to heartofmanmovie.com slash tickets, just put in your zip code. We'll pop up all the theaters around you. Heartofmanmovie.com slash tickets. 
Okay. Uh, put in your zip code, and it'll take you to a uh, theater list by you. Okay, I will stick that in the description of this podcast, as well as a link to the uh, trailer, so that you can kind of get get a little glimpse of what you'll be in for. And let me tell you guys, uh, don't procrastinate on getting these tickets. Uh, Tom Mocha and I were just in Minneapolis uh, yesterday talking with the Samson guys there. It's showing in four theaters in greater Minneapolis. And the word uh, that those guys have is that, that it's selling out quickly. Uh, they're going as a group. We're going as a group here in Franklin, Tennessee. They're going as a group in Jackson, uh, Mississippi. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, you are in a group. Uh, make sure you get your guys together and go to the film. Do it the way we do it. If you can, do it. Do a dinner and a movie and then some hang time afterwards. Uh if you don't have a group, here's a great way to get one started. You know people. Uh, and if you need help getting a, a block of group tickets, shoot us a, a note quickly here at samsonpodcast at gmail.com. We'll help you get that done. And hey, don't we have some some giveaways on this? We do. Actually, uh, we've got five pairs of tickets to give away to Heart of Man. How are we going to decide who gets them, Aaron? Uh, You know what? I want to include Jason in this. Uh, I think the first five people to send us an email to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com with, Jason, what what do they need to write to us, these first five people, to get these pairs of tickets? Because it's like gold. We're giving away gold. Jason, you're a good-looking guy. Um, (laughs) I love the... Uh, I can't wait to see the film. I imagine it's going to be the best thing I've ever seen. All right, Something so along those lines. Could be a Spanish that. We're going to call that option A. So option B, though, <laughs> is going to be... Uh, I think just uh, name a few people that, you, that, that you're thinking of that, that need to see this with you. And I think just show us that you want to experience this in community. There you and then go. Secret, yeah, yeah, experience in community. That's great. You could include part of part A in it, of course. I mean, you don't have to go just with B. You can do a little mix. <laughs> you can put friends' initials if you're going to tell us why you think they need it. You know, we're, we'll still keep some confidentiality. Uh, unless yeah. you think it would be motivating for us to read their names <laughs> on the next podcast and why they ought to go. <laughs> oh, All man. right. So, thank Jason, you. thank you so much, yeah. man. Yeah, uh, Nate, love you, man. Thank you for you and Samson Society mean for this film. To me personally, I think many, many people, men and women, will experience freedom because of your life, your story, how you've stewarded it, uh, the men that you brought around you, um, the way you live. So, love you. Thank you, guys, for this opportunity. Okay, love you, Jason. Lord bless you, man. And we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. I seem to be on my own at this juncture, and uh, I just don't think Nate's going to be making it back for this part. So we'll wrap it up. Uh, Just a reminder, grab some buddies. Uh, September 14th, go watch the movie. Shoot us some emails. First five emails, we'll get a pair of tickets uh, at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, that's it for today. I'm Aaron. I'm Nate. And we're your pals at the Pirate Monk Podcast. Lose. Toss the ball.